Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. Okay, I'd like to welcome the audio and video program, uh, people that may see this later. Um, I want to, I, I was reading something, you know, Christianity often is like ideas get set in concrete. You know, in concrete, when you first pour it, you can move it around, shape it up to anything you want. But once it's dry, it's, it's there to stay and it's not going anywhere. And that's how I sort of liken uh, the Christian mind, that uh, there are ideas that they have that are set in stone. And I want to look at a statement that I read just, just recently here. And I, I wish every mainstream church out there could hear this message because I think it would clear up a lot of confusion. And what I was reading, this was like a, I forget the article, but the subtitle to the article said this, are we saved by works and the law or by faith? Okay, that's a singular question. It's one or the other, or supposedly. That's what they want you to think. It's, it's one or the other. Okay. Christians do not need to follow the legalism of the Mosaic law because Jesus' death on the cross abolished that works for righteousness system. Okay. So I'm looking at this, and I, and I, I start thinking about it, and I, I, what I want to do is tear it apart. Tear this statement apart. Let's go, let's start out with the first statement. Are we saved by works and the law or by faith? Now that's sort of, if you read that as a Christian, you're going to think, well, it's one or the other. And you're going to again think, yeah, I'll get to that. And you're going to think, well, it can't be works of the law, so it's got to be by faith. That's what naturally the mind's going to think. So, Let's answer this question from the book of James. James 2 and verse 14. Uh, what does it profit, my brethren, though a man says he has faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Now the implication is no. Faith alone cannot save you. That's what that scripture is saying. It's asking the question, can faith alone save him? Answer, uh, no. If a brother or a sister be naked and destitute of daily food, now, uh, and one of you say unto him, be depart, well, let us back up. Let's say, it says of a brother or a sister, one translation says, suppose a believer. So as we talk about brothers or sisters, you know, maybe it's talking about believers in the church. We call each other brothers and sisters. Maybe it's talking about a literal family member. But imagine either one showing up at the door of the church here, cold winter night. It's cold. They're hungry. They don't have enough clothes on. And this is what you say to them. And what are you saying to them? Depart in peace. Be warmed and filled. 
notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? So, it's, you know, the, the extreme that this goes to, but it's, it's very powerful. You know, this, these, these words are not going to do you a lot of good. Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. So, faith alone cannot save you. All you need is faith. Just believe in Christ. And the next time you hear that, you can say, no, the book of James does not teach that. All right. But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered up Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Now, what did Abraham do? Well, what he was called to do was absolutely, you know, I don't know. I mean, well, let, let's just take a look at it. And he said, take now your son, notice the emphasis, emphasis, your only son, Isaac, okay, your only son, whom you love, and offer him there for a burnt offering. offering. Now, I don't know, you know, as a parent, having a daughter, I don't know if I would have had that kind of faith. It would be tough. It would be very tough. But what, what did Abraham do? He obeyed God. So, James 2 and verse 22, isn't it obvious? Now, this is a different translation, but I, I wanted to use it because of the way this, this words it. Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners? That faith expresses itself in works? That the works are works of faith? I like that. I like that. They're yoked together. Now, if I were to ask you, okay, why do you keep the Sabbath day, the holy days, the dietary laws? What, what is your motivation for keeping them? Keeping them? Do you keep them to earn your salvation? Of course not. No. And if you keep them, have you fallen from faith or fallen from grace? You know, there are people out there who will tell you, yes, you have. By doing these things, you have fallen from, from grace because you're trying to establish your own works of righteous, righteousness. Are you doing it to establish your own righteousness? Righteousness. You know, one of our workers one time asked me, he was talking about this subject to some degree. You know, why do you do some of the things that you do? And uh, particularly the Sabbath, you know, I think what, what he was hinting to. And I said, let, let me ask you a question. Are you faithful to your wife? And he says, yes. I said, so by being faithful to your wife, that means you're keeping the seventh commandment. Now, do you feel like, by being faithful to your wife, that you're earning brownie points? Now, that's the reason you do that, to get right with God. And he thought about it, and he said, well, no, of course not. And he said, I never really thought of it in those terms. So, by keeping God's Sabbath, some people might say, it proves, look, I have no faith in Jesus. I've heard that from religious people. Another one I've heard is Jesus is our Sabbath. 
<laughs> uh, I keep every day as a Sabbath. And you think, well, when do you work? Yeah. And, uh, but that one's a biggie. You know, well, well, Jesus is my Sabbath. And I think, well, where did you find that in your Bible, that Jesus is your Sabbath? Okay, James 2 and verse 23. Let's continue on. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Why? Because he did what God told him to do. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. In other words, the two, I mean, James is not saying, okay, you're, you're justified by your works. He's saying the two work together. Obedience and faith are yoked partners. You know, this is, I think, Martin Luther called James the epistle of straw because he thought that he was uh, contradicting what Paul taught, supposedly, in his, in his mind, faith alone. That's all you got to have. So he called him the epistle of straw. So we are saved by... So let's go back to this original statement. Are we saved by works and the law or by faith. That's how that article started out. It's not an either or question, you see. And, and sometimes people overlook that. Well, wait a minute. The way a question is presented, the way ta people talking to you is presented, you know, they can play these little mind games. It's not an either or question. The two are yoked together. Okay. All right. Here was the next little statement. Christians do not need to follow the legalism of the Mosaic law. All right, let's take a look. You know, people talk about Mosaic law. This Mosaic, this, this, you know, okay. What is this Mosaic law? Well, Exodus 24 and verse 3, Moses went out and told all the people of the Lord's words and law and they answered with one voice. They said, we will do everything the Lord has told us to do. Then Moses wrote down everything the Lord had said. I hate that term, Mosaic law, because it implies that Moses went around just writing his own law. You know, he said, I think, I'll, okay, I'm going to write this down right here, and I'm going to write some more laws down. No, that's not what the scripture says. Then Moses wrote down everything the Lord had said. So Christians do not need to follow the legalism of God's law was the next statement. Well, what is legalism? You know, I, I thought of, people talk about legal, legalism, and I looked the, the definition up. It's dependence on moral law rather than a personal religious faith. I have my own definition. It, Legalism is dependence on moral law to make you right with God, to think you are justified by keeping the law. Okay. All right. It's when you use the law for a purpose for which it was never intended, and that is to get right with God. The law was not given for that purpose, to get right, to, to be justified in God's eyes. The law is revelatory. 
It tells us what is sin. It tells us what is the will of God. You have the moral law, the sanitary laws, the sacrificial laws, the culture laws. Um, the sacrifice, you know, people might say, well, what about the sacrificial laws? Wasn't that works of the law? Well, we understand Jesus became our sacrificial lamb. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You know, a Christian who has accepted Jesus Christ doesn't need to continue, you know, making uh, sacrificial offerings or anything like that. And besides, there is no temple and no priesthood today. So, but I want to ask you a question. How many people do you know who are trying to get right with God by keeping the law? I don't know if I've ever met a person like that who honestly would say, I can be right, I can be justified by keeping God's law. I don't need a Savior. I don't need a Messiah. I don't know if I've ever met a person. Now, I've met a lot of people not keeping God's law who are trying to get right with God. I've met a lot of them. Maybe the Pharisees of Jesus' day did this. I think they did. Let's look at some of these examples here. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why walk not your disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Now the reference they were referring to, the tradition of the elders, it is Jewish tradition. It also can be referred to as the oral law. It was fence building around the Ten Commandments. In other words, okay, what can I do on the Sabbath day? Well, you can pick a few grapes off the vine, but if you pick a cluster, that's sinning. You had Sabbath day journey, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. But it was fence building around the law of God, and I think it made people's lives miserable. Okay? Um, but in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. I think when Christ walked this earth, there were two sets of laws. There was the law of Moses, Mosaic law, that he wrote down, and there was the tradition or Jewish tradition, the tradition of the elders or the oral law. And I believe this is how they achieved their self-righteousness. If I could just keep this perfectly, I am right with God. And maybe you know, they didn't need a Messiah. Maybe that's why, unless you're talking about Messianic Jews, you know, who, who, who have accepted Christ. But for the most part, the Jews reject that Jesus, you know, the Messiah. Acts 10 and verse 28. And he said to them, now this, I, I'm gonna, I just threw this in here because it's an example. This was when the sheet came down from heaven. All the unclean beasts was in it. All right. And he said to them, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into one another's nation. Or Gentiles, basically, basically what he's saying. But God has shown me 
that I should not call any man common or unclean. All right, what, what law is he referring to here? He says, you know, his audience, he said, you know how that it is unlawful uh, for a Jew to keep company. He is referring to, what law is he referring to? He's referring to Jewish tradition, the tradition of the elders, Jewish law. That's the law he's referring to. Okay, he's not referring to God's law. Uh, and that, you know, the scripture sort of sums it up. It says, for he is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make unto himself of twain one new man, new man so making peace. What is he talking about? He's talking about Jewish laws that separated Jew and Gentiles. Now, people take this verse, often Christians will take this verse and try to say, refer to, okay, God's law and the Mosaic law has been, you know, done away with. That's one of the scriptures they can use. All right, Luke 6 and verse 1. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do you do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day? Now think about what they were doing. They were just running, through, you know, walking through a field of corn and, and you know, running it through their hand, popping it into kernels of corn, I guess, in, into their mouth. But what the, what the Pharisees were accusing them of is harvesting. You are harvesting on the Sabbath day. Okay, that's the extreme of Jewish tradition that they had gone to. The fence building around the law of God. I got this off the internet. But the Jews, Sabbath day journey, you've heard that. But the Jews had a different way of interpreting the distance of a Sabbath day's journey. Was it from their own home or their town? If it was their town, then they could increase that distance from home significantly. After all, what if the town itself was 2,000 cubits across and a person lived on one side of it and wanted to go 2,000 cubits past the other side? Okay, so this all has got to all be figured out. Sometimes the Jews would also place food along a lengthy path and state that this was their home and go another 2,000 cubics. So <laughs> their own law could easily and did become corrupted. Mm -hmm. All right? The perfect example of this. Here's another example. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whosoever curses his father or mother, let him die to death. But you say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever you might be profited by me, he shall be free. And he shall suffer him no more to do all for his father or his mother. In other words, they give this money that they've saved up for the, taking care of their elderly parents, give it to the temple, you are free from that obligation to take care of your mother and father. Making the word, now notice this, Jesus says, making the word of God 
of none effect through your traditions which you have delivered and many such like do ye. Again, their own laws could easily, easily and did become corrupted as this example. So what law did Jesus abolish? Let's get to this. Well, it was the tradition of the elders, the oral laws of the Jews, which, you know, by dismissing that, it's one of the things that got him killed. Because they had placed more confidence in their interpretation, their version of the law, than the law itself, the Ten Commandments. More confidence in that. Okay. Continuing on here, I sort of inserted that one about the Sabbath day's journey. I shouldn't have done that because here I am. I got my slides in the wrong place. But here we, here we are back to the man that was healed, the pool of Siloam. And uh, he says, Jesus said to him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now this is so deliberate on Jesus' part. It's like, you know, me and uh, Barry Ray a long time ago, there was a big hornet's nest in a tree, and we were throwing rocks at it and stirring them up, and Barry got stung, you know. I didn't, I, 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 I got free. But this, this, this is what Christ is deliberately doing by that statement, and, and on the same day was the Sabbath day. They condemned Christ for healing on the Sabbath day. The Jews therefore said to him, that cured him, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Now, his bed was not a four-post canopy bed. It was a roll-up mat that you put underneath your arm and walk away with. Okay. So again, these are examples. Why the confusion about the law of God? People, you know, it's been abolished, been nailed to the cross. You know, you're dead to the law. It is the lack, one of the reasons for it, it is the lack of understanding about the oral law, the tradition of the elders, and what law was Jesus actually abolishing. Uh, again, they had placed their interpretation of this above the very law of God. Colossians. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after, notice this, the commandments and traditions of men. This ties right back into this scripture. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. Jewish tradition, the tradition of the elders, is what we're talking about. Okay, the last little statement. I think this is the last little statement. Jesus' death on the cross abolished that works for righteousness system. And I looked at that and I thought, well, maybe that's one part I can agree with. And then all of a sudden I said, wait a minute. There has never been a works for righteousness system. 
Now, a lot of people think that it is in the Old Testament that God set up a works for righteousness system. And when you think about it, God is not, when, you know, when God gave the law, when God created man, God was not aloof. God did not think, you know, I, I really believe they can keep this law perfectly. And I, I just think they, they can do it. I just believe they can. That thought never entered his mind. You know, from the foundation of the world, there has been a sacrifice prepared for us. Jesus Christ. Okay, but what about the sacrificial laws? I, I want to touch on that. You know, wasn't this some kind of works for righteousness system set up? Well, notice what Jeremiah 7, 22 says. This is an amazing verse. He says, For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. Now, was this something, now this is just a theory on my behalf, okay, was this, this something man came up with? In other words, to atone for my sin, I'm going to kill an animal and shed its blood. And God looked down and said, huh, okay, if you're going to do this, I'm going to make rules and regulations around how you do it. Okay. Now, th now, this should not surprise us because divorce fits into that category. God hates divorce. And yet he looks down and he says, huh, they're getting divorced. Okay, I got to make rules and regulations around this on what to do. You got to write a, uh, a divorce, a writing of divorcement, okay? Uh, if, 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 Two people have been married and divorced and then remarry and divorce again. The former husband cannot take back his first original wife. I mean, just recently I had to tell my, my, one of my best friends, Barry Ray, wanted me to, he, he had, this had happened to both of them. They had been married, divorced, both of them got remarried. And I said, I can't do it. I said, the scripture, you know, says not to do that. And I said, if I did it, I would go against my consciousness. And he said, well, I don't want you to do that. And we had an agreement there. But um, these were regulations that God wrote. Polygamy. I do not believe polygamy was ever. God's will. From the beginning, God created them male and female, you know, man and woman, husband and wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And God looks down and says, huh, I see what you're doing. You're marrying multiple wives. So I'm going to create rules, regulations regarding how you do this. Okay. So that's just a, th a theory that, that I have especially for this verse, Jeremiah 7 and verse 22, it says, For I, did, I didn't even speak to them, your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. Was man trying to atone for his sin by sacrificing an animal? Works for righteousness system, you might say. 
No, okay. Salvation has always been by the grace of God. How were people saved in the Old Testament? Exactly as they are saved in the New, by the grace of God. Okay. Galatians 3 and verse 21. Is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Okay. There's never been a works for righteousness system. Okay. I say there's never been a works for righteousness system. There is one place it has existed right here between the ears between the ears I think the Pharisees had it and I think a lot of Christian people in their minds think that there, there was a system you know works for righteousness system that they used to have in the Old Testament okay but it's only between the ears alright let's conclude for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So Jesus' death on the cross kept us from experiencing the penalty for our sins, which is death. So, that is all. Praise God for His grace. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net. If you would like more information or if you have any questions, write to is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Or visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net.